welcome back to Red Cedar Radar. We kind of have a mashup episode uh, for you all today. We're going to be talking basketball and football, looking ahead, looking back to both the games that have happened recently, and then looking ahead to where basketball and football will be heading next. I am joined by Brendan and Paul, my, my the usual faces. Um, how are you guys today? Doing pretty good. We had a uh, good night at the Breslin Center. We actually all met in real life last night in the Breslin Center, which is pretty exciting. Um, and we got to almost witness a win. Not quite, though. But it doesn't count, so it doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't matter. Brandon, how are you? Doing great. It was nice to feel the energy of the Breslin Center again. I know uh, Michigan State lost, but competitive game. It was just fun to be in the Breslin Center again. And then obviously football game Saturday didn't go Michigan State's way, but still fun weekend. Absolutely. I say let's start with football, just kind of break that down. I think I have less comments about football than I do basketball, so we'll start there. Um, Michigan State traveled to Minnesota to play the Gophers. Um, Couldn't quite get the win as has been seen in the past recently. Um, But there are a couple things that I think we can pull from the game as slight positives or just maybe differences from the games before. Um, I have a couple points that I pulled, but Paul or Brendan, if you guys want to start just off the top of your head, what you thought about the game and if there's any positives that you think you can pull from the loss at Minnesota, whoever wants to start. Yeah, I have just a couple things on the turnovers. Minnesota coughed the ball up. Actually, they, I think they threw two picks early on, uh, Ethan Kelly McManus was a little careless with the football, and Michigan State got two field goals out of it. That's the kind of the stuff when you're on the road in the Big Ten against probably a better opponent, you got to cash in in the end zone there. When you get the ball in the opponent's territory, thanks to a mistake made by the opponent, you got to cash in on seven points. And that's where I think Michigan State kind of got behind the eight ball a little bit. I know they were up six nothing at the start there, but if they could have made that 14 nothing or maybe even got one touchdown out of it, made it 10 nothing early on, I think this could be a different game. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. The um, I think it was actually two fumbles in the first quarter. Um, but the, the the disheartening part was, even though the Spartans were leading six to nothing, um, throughout that first half, I at least I personally had kind of an impending feeling of doom throughout the entire first half because the offense just could not move the ball. I mean, they, they basically were handed the ball in – you know, almost in the red zone, not quite, but in field goal range both times. And I don't think they got a first down either time. They just, you know, get the ball three and out, kick the field goal. And that was really the way the whole first half went. And and you could just sort of tell that it was just a matter of time before the dam would eventually break. Um, and that that is what basically happened. It's, you know, eventually Minnesota's offense started to find its rhythm. They got into the um, well, I can't remember the sequence of scoring, whether they got into the end zone first or not. I think they kicked a field goal and then eventually got into the end zone. Um, but like once the, once Michigan state got behind, it, it just didn't seem like there was any ability for them to really catch back up. Um, and if, then of course there was the quarterback change, which was an interesting move. Um, I mean, Hauser, it, it's hard to really say that it was his fault that the, that the ball wasn't moving, but I think it was probably smart to, you know, try something a little bit different to spark the offense. And, and I think Levitt did spark the offense. He was able to drive the team down the, the field and score, um, partially, um, on the basis of his legs. And actually, Brendan and I were, were discussing this yesterday, whether those were designed runs or whether he just fled the pocket and, and scrambled and picked up yards. Um, 
either way though he did provide a spark but then in i think his last two possessions again the turnover bug happened again he fumbled first on a somewhat limited contact honestly that was very clearly a young quarterback mistake and then he threw a pick when they were driving down the field again so you know we've we've tried all three quarterbacks now um and it doesn't seem significantly better with any of them so um i'm not quite sure where they go from from here but um, you know, at least on the offensive side, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty <laughs> and it's kind of hard to guess, especially without, um, without Carr, who was clearly the, the best offensive weapon. It's, it's, it's really unclear where the offense goes from here. Yeah. Another thing about Levitt here, uh, yeah, he coughed, he turned the ball over to on the last two possessions of the game. He had that, led that nice touchdown drive on his first possession then fumble, and then, uh, and then he threw a pick. He was driving, I think they went like 50 so fifty or so yards on that last possession, but couldn't cash in, threw a pick. Uh, but I kind of get the same vibes from Levitt as uh, what I got from Hauser in the Rutgers game where he provides a spark to that offense, got him going with that touchdown. I'm curious to see if Levitt can sustain it uh, heading into the Nebraska game coming up this Saturday. Uh, we see Hauser kind of struggled a little bit after that Rutgers game against Michigan, and then obviously early here against Minnesota. So curious to see, can Levitt sustain that? Can he take care of the football? That's also important. So curious to see who, who's going to start on Saturday. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Who do you guys think they will pull to start? Will they go back to Hauser, give him another shot, or will they just skip right over and go to Sam again? Boy, that's hard to say. I, if it were me, I would give Hauser another shot. Um but I, I tend to just I tend to favor the older quarterback <laughs> kind of by default, um, unless there's a, a big reason not to. Um, but I, I think a similar strategy would probably be fine if they want to start Hauser and if it if it's they believe they need a spark, they can bring Levitt off the bench. I, that's probably what I would try, because if you start Levitt, it's kind of hard to go backwards. So um, you could do that. But I think that that's what I would do. But, you know, I'm not I'm not getting paid a million dollars and soon to be unemployed. So I guess who am I to talk Brendan, do you I, think the same? Yeah, I agree with what Paul said. I would start Hauser, but obviously with a short leash, if he continues to make mistakes, Michigan State's offense kind of stalls out. Uh, give Sam Levitt an opportunity to to show what he's got here. And, uh, yeah, he's got to take care of the football, though. If you start Sam Levitt and he's turned the ball over uh, again against Nebraska, then you got to put Hauser back in. So no matter who starts, I'm, I'm, I don't really care either way too much, uh, but I would personally go with Hauser. But no matter who starts, I think a short leash is necessary. Yeah, I agree. Only other point I had was, uh, before we talk about Nebraska coming up this weekend, in a couple different areas, um, some younger guys who haven't had a lot of chances to shine this year yet just because of how things have been and because they've had kind of some older guys up, up ahead of them taking up those starting spots. I saw some good things from some younger players that we hadn't seen too much yet, um, which this year, I mean, is a lost cause. but those are the guys that matter. And those are the guys that you want to stick around for the next couple seasons coming forward as things are transitioning. So I was happy to see a couple bright spots in uh, some of those guys. Any comments about that at all? One of the young guys is Jordan Hall. He's a true freshman linebacker. He had nine tackles, two sacks, two TFLs against Minnesota. So he had another really good game. I've, I've been really impressed with him. I think he's been the best true freshman Michigan State's uh, had this season. And then Simeon Barrow, remember, he entered the portal earlier last week with Drew, I think, on Thursday, traveled with the team. Uh, he had six tackles, so good game out of Barrow as well. So, 
Yeah, and to throw another name out there, we also saw, I think, Jalen Thompson on the defensive line for maybe the first time. Um, and, and he seems to show some flashes of some some talent, which is good to see, because I, I do agree, Sydney. I think the, the key point now going forward is to get some of these younger guys some meaningful reps, um, try to keep them engaged in the program and try to you know, minimize the, the mass exodus that we may see in December when the transfer portal opens back up. Um, I mean, the, the staff so far has done a pretty good job of, of kind of keeping the guys together. Um, but I mean, I think it's a big unknown. I mean, I think it seems like the plan is to have maybe a new coach in place, you know, as soon as those games are, are over on Thanksgiving weekend, whether that'll happen or not, we can't really say, but um, that seems to be the plan at least. And so if that does happen, then it's just a question of, you know, the players will, they'll evaluate the new staff and then they'll decide whether they're going to stay or if they're going to go. But, you know, certainly the more you, you kind of give opportunities to those younger players, I think you're increasing the chances that you'll, you'll have a higher retention rate. Um, But either way, I, I think we can say the defense didn't play too bad against Minnesota. Minnesota's offense is maybe not the best. Um, Although, you know, I could have sworn when I've seen Minnesota play earlier, their quarterback was not coming anywhere within five yards of a receiver and he was throwing darts against the Spartans. But that just seems to happen sometimes. It's probably, you know, selection bias on my part, but still it's frustrating. Um, but I, I do think the defense played pretty well early in the game. And then I just the, they were showing the time of possession stats. And, you know, that certainly did not end up in Michigan State's favor. And I think by the fourth quarter, once again, um, they were tired and the dam kind of broke. Another thing on Minnesota's quarterback, Kaliak Manis, uh, he threw for 200 yards against the Spartans, and that was his highest uh, output of the year. His uh, previous high was against Nebraska in week one with 196. Against Michigan State, threw for 200 on 14 completions, uh, 64% completion percentage. So his best game of the year this year for Kaliak Manis. Of course, of course. Yeah. And I guess the uh, the other thing to comment, we didn't really talk about Michigan State's running game. And I mean, Nathan Carter didn't have a bad game per se, but just the, the, the Spartans couldn't get anything going on the ground. Um, and I guess I didn't necessarily watch closely enough to see if Minnesota was really stacking the box and daring the young quarterbacks to throw. It didn't really feel that way. Um, but, you know, the fact that the running game, you know, is consistently not really producing is a, is a concern because, um, I was expecting this offensive line to be much better this year. And, you know, they have had some injuries, but not really many. And so that continues to be a disappointment. And I mean, I guess next year they're going to have a lot of turnover. So one way or the other, at least it'll be different. Hopefully it'll be better. But um, that that was something that at the beginning of the year, I even said, I think if the offensive line isn't is just average or below average, it's going to be a bad situation. And that's kind of where it feels like we are. One more comment on this game here. I was a little bit disappointed with Michigan State's run defense. Minnesota had their top running back out. Uh, Darius Taylor, I think is his name, is a true freshman. He was out. Uh, so Jordan Newbin got a large majority of the carries for Minnesota. He had 40 carries for 204 yards. He averaged 5.1 yards per carry. So, I mean, against a backup running back, it's not good numbers there. That's too much. Do you guys think that Michigan State can get it done against Nebraska? at home no <laughs> yeah. and i i hate to be all of a sudden the pessimist because i i brand myself as the the um, chief optimism mm-hmm. officer but you know based on what we've seen um and i, and I think more importantly the thing that, that was that should be a concern is 
you know, Michigan State has two pretty winnable, you know, winnable games left on the schedule in, in the road game in Indiana, the home game in Nebraska. And both of those teams played pretty well this, last week. I mean, Nebraska, they, they beat up Purdue pretty good. I mean, Purdue's not very good, but Purdue might be better than Michigan State. So, because, I mean, there's um, – you could make the argument that Michigan State is now the worst team in the Big Ten. And I think there's stats that would support that. So, if Nebraska can beat Purdue by 14 or however much they beat them by, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. And Indiana, they were tied with Penn State late in that game in Happy Valley. How that happened, I'm not sure because I didn't watch enough of the game, but I did see the end of it. And, you know, that – that was a little bit scary. So, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think I saw Michigan state's a three point underdog to open against Nebraska. I would like to think that they can find some spark on the offense. I think the defense will be okay, but you know, can they score enough points? And I, I you know, I, I'm to the point where I need to believe it and to, you know, I need to see it to believe it basically. So my confidence is low. <laughs> I agree with Paul's sentiment. Uh, I actually picked Michigan State to beat Minnesota, but obviously that didn't happen. I thought Michigan State was kind of due for a win. I thought they had another win or two in them, but now it's looking a little bleak. I mean, Nebraska, uh, the last time probably a majority of the country watched Nebraska was either week one or week two, and they, they started 0-2. They lost to Minnesota, lost to Colorado, but they've won five of their last six. So Nebraska's red hot, uh, played really good defense. So it's going to be a, it's going to be tough for Michigan State to score points as it has been all year. So uh, I, I like Nebraska in this game. I think Michigan the most winnable game left on Michigan State's schedule is that November 18th game at Indiana. I didn't watch Indiana's whole game against Michigan. I only watched a little bit in the beginning. But they were really putting something together on their first on their offensive drive, you know, their only scoring drive that they had. We don't need to talk about the rest of the game against Michigan because I don't really know too much, but they really looked like they were putting things together well. And I think if they're able to put something small together well against a, game, a team like Michigan, they might be able to do it again and again and again against a team like Michigan State. Even though our defense has been playing well, that's something that was a little bit concerning when I saw it. It might not be as easily winnable as I was hoping that it would be for Michigan State. Or not. Yeah. I actually do project MSU will be a slight underdog in that game. We'll see. That's what my, that's what my computer tells me. So we'll see what happens. Um, and I'll also point out that Nebraska is now currently in a four-way tie for first place in the West. So they actually have quite a bit left to play for. Um, they're tied currently with Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin at three and two, which is about the most Big Ten West thing that's ever happened. Of, but there's so many things that in that category that it's hard to it's hard to prioritize them. But, but yeah, they're they're coming in with something to lose, and that's, you know, that that can that can cut both ways, but that's not necessarily good. Well, that's something that I was thinking about um, at Michigan State. How do you motivate guys to come back if there's really nothing left? To, for them to play for. And I don't know that Harlan Barnett is the guy to do that. I was really hoping that him coming in and having D'Antonio, like they would be able to light a fire under the guys and it just has not happened. And I just don't think that there's anything left for the team to care about. And I think it's going to be hard, maybe at home last game of the season at home, there's a little something there, but if they go on the road, you know, as they go on the road, I just don't know what spark there is left. Maybe there is, and I could be wrong. And I hope that I am wrong, but it just doesn't seem like there is. So we will see. Any other points about football at all before we move on to basketball? 
I'll, I'll just comment on your, your last statement, Sydney. that, I mean, I believe Harlan Barnett said that the team is now playing for Spartan pride. Um, and you can always play for pride. You can always, you know, play for each other. Um, but that, that's sort of, that will only kind of take you so far. And what you might see is that if they can build some positive momentum early, um, which I mean, they even had against Minnesota, they just couldn't capitalize on it. But let's say there's an early turnover and then they would need something to go well on offense as well. Like they would need to have, you know, complete a pass for a touchdown or something like that early. Then it can snowball in a positive way. But, you know, I think this team is, you know, their, their psyches are probably a little fragile. And, and that's all for very good reason. Like they have absolutely every reason for that to be the case. So I don't blame the players at all. Honestly, they just were put in a very terrible situation. Um, but I think they are going to need a little bit of luck to get that positive momentum. And then, then maybe something good can happen because then it, you know, it can, again, it can snowball in a positive way. That's possible. Anything else to add about football, Brendan? Uh, it's going to be a tough next four weeks. I mean, two winnable games in Nebraska and Indiana. We'll see if they can pull one out, see if Harlan Barnett can rally to rally the troops. And uh, it, I mean, senior day could be a point of motivation. Not sure. We'll find out. Paul, I think you had a comment about um, the team down the road uh, and their football situation before we end this segment. I'll give you the floor to share what you want to say. Well, I I just wanted to um, personally thank the University of Michigan for making this college football season more enjoyable for us because um, because it's been kind of rough for us. And, you know, following the um, the the sign stealing scandal situation. Um, it's been entertaining. And so I think we can at least uh, call it out for what it is. Um, now, what will, what the eventual, you know, how this will evolve, I think is unclear. Um, it does seem like there's an awful lot of evidence that's just, just what's been reported and what seems to be out there in the public domain that seems to indicate that um, there were some pretty egregious rules broken. And whether or not you think the rule is silly, it's still a rule. So, um, I think that when you break rules, there are consequences. I mean, it's it's shocking, but um, I feel that some people need this explained to them like they were kindergartners because some of them might be. Um, but I think the real question is, you know, would you know if any punishment does come, how soon will it come, and you know, how severe will it be? And I, I do kind of wonder that. My biggest curiosity is what what happens this year, because um, like honestly speaking, if I were a betting man, I would say that there there is some level of probation probably coming for them, but maybe not this year. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Um, But this year is going to be hard because there's just really not a lot of time. But, you know, the situation that I envision is that, you know, if Michigan goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten, you know, the the hands of the people that make these decisions are somewhat tied. They're either going to have to say, they're either going to have to give them a postseason ban, which I don't think they will do, um, or they're just going to have to let it ride and see what happens, let the games play out. And then if punishment comes later, it comes. But, you know, if Michigan does lose a game and does not make the Big Ten championship game, which is, you know, is still fairly likely. I mean, Ohio State could pick them off. Penn State could pick them off. If either of those things happen and they wind up in some sort of tiebreaker, they don't go to Indy, they don't win the Big Ten, then I think, you know, the chance of them to, you know, finish fifth in fifth place on uh, selection Sunday, so to speak, for for the college football playoff, I think it's very high, because that would really be the um, you know the outcome that would probably be viewed as maybe the most just for everybody. It's like oh, and they could very easily the selection committee could say, well, their their strength of schedule just really wasn't there, which is true, 
So there's plausible deniability to deny them a playoff berth if they lose a game, uh, but they still have to lose that game. Um, now, and, and I, I hate to potentially fuel the Ann Arbor paranoia machine, but you know, if they go to Happy Valley and there's a you know pass interference call, a holding call here or there that seems a little bit 50-50 and doesn't go their way, that also wouldn't shock me. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of rumors swirling. It's hard to know what's what's true and what's not. Um, but that's kind of how I suspect this might play out. Um, and if they don't make the playoffs, um, they're probably going to land in either the Orange Bowl against a what's turning out to be a very poor ACC opponent because I think Florida State's going to the playoffs and the Orange Bowl will get the second place ACC team. So what's that going to be? Louisville, maybe. Um, or I think the most the funniest situation would be to draw the group of five champion, which could be Liberty or Air Force. Um, and if you really want to think about something positive and you're a Spartan fan, imagine Michigan um, drawing Liberty in the Cotton Bowl, having half their players declare for the NFL and sit out and then have them lose to Liberty. I think that scenario is not off the table. So, um, so that's what I have to say about that. So I saw that Harbaugh's like, contract extension was pulled um so that just means that they that it's off the table for right now for what i've understood do you think harbaugh would even stick around after this season anyways and do you think that his job is in jeopardy because of all of this those are just honest questions that i have because i don't know too much about like the whole pulling the contract and like you know what else is to come for for them I don't honestly know. I think that's very hard to predict. Um, if they, I mean, it, there's been a lot of rumors and speculation from even folks that I know in Ann Arbor. I actually work in Ann Arbor, um, ironically, um, when I go to the office. But um, there is some speculation. There's been speculation for a while that Harbaugh was not going to return for one reason or, or another next year. Now, how much, uh, again, um, how much of that is true or not, I don't know. But this this movement about the, his contract not being renewed or them pulling it off the table. Um, does is a pretty um, a pretty bold move by the administration. So it, it does sort of start to feel like there's something's going to go ha- something's going to happen. And I would, if I'm a betting man, I which I'm not, ironically, um, I would say that Harbaugh won't be there next year. But I'm like 60-40 <laughs> is where I would be on that. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not terribly yeah. clear on that. But that's that's what it feels like right now. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That's something really that 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 is a very bold thing to do to a coach that's winning for you right now. And I mean, you know, they broke the rules, and but that's not the only reason that that he's winning. So I think that's a that's a that's a good way to put it. It was a bold move, and I think that means that they wouldn't do that unless something else was going to happen. Who knows? Obviously, we don't know, but just something I thought. Anything to add, Brendan, about Michigan or that situation at all before we move to basketball? Yeah, I mean, the question whether or not Harbor is going to leave or not, I mean, he's been flirting with the NFL for the past couple of off seasons, so I wouldn't be terribly shocked, but like Paul, I'm kind of like 60-40, yes, he's going to go, uh, and 40, no, he's not, he's going to stay. Uh, we'll see what the punishment is. I think NCAA is going to come down strict on them because they're in Ann Arbor probably as we speak investigating the program. So uh, NCAA is obviously taking this. uh, It's a high priority investigation. So we'll see. Time will tell. Okay. 
Moving on from football uh, onto Michigan State basketball. So MSU took on Hillsdale a, a little bit ago um, for their first opening kind of game of the season. Beat Hillsdale, had a good showing, I thought, um, at home in the Breslin. And then just this past weekend, Michigan State took on Tennessee in an open exhibition match to benefit Maui um, at the Breslin. We were all there, like we said before. Um, Michigan State started so poorly. I think I texted Brendan a couple minutes in, something along the lines of, um, what the heck is going on? Because it was terrible, and I was scared that this was going to be the rest of the season that we were looking at ahead of us. I got I jumped to conclusions a little bit. They were able to kind of get it together, clawed back, tied at one point, um, and then, unfortunately, were unable to pull off the win. So it ended um, 89-88 to 88 with Tennessee taking the win. You know, it doesn't count for anything because it's an exhibition, but still... A win's a win, I guess you could say. Um, I have quite a few thoughts about what I saw, but Paul and Brendan were able to attend the post-game presser and kind of hear Izzo's thoughts on the matchup and had kind of the, the bird's eye view from the press conference. So I'm going to let them um, go ahead and take it away with some of their points and I'll add in as they go. Anything off just the top of your head could be about the slow start or individual players stuff that you saw go ahead and take it away whoever wants to yeah michigan state got off to an awful start i think it was like 17 to 2 15 to 2 at one point tennessee had a lead of 18 points at 30 to 12 they had the lead and i'll give michigan state a ton of credit they stayed within striking distance because tennessee started red hot shooting the basketball especially from deep so that's how they got out to that early lead and they kind of slowed down in that back half of uh of the first half uh so Michigan State gave them a lot of credit for staying within striking distance, waiting for them to cool down, and then they kind of caught up. But Michigan State never had the lead in this game. Uh, I think there might have been one tie, uh, and that was 88-88 to after Hogard hit that three off of the steal and that mad scramble hit the three-pointer. So uh, Tyson Walker, I thought, had an excellent game. Uh, it was one of those games where he just flipped a switch and took over late in that late in that game. I think he finished with, he finished with 22 points, uh, so I thought he had a great game. Malik Hall's another guy. Uh, still have, I mean, I think he needs to distribute the ball a little bit better, especially down low in the post. He was taking taking a lot of shots. He was three from nine from the field, put up 14 points, 11 rebounds. So I thought Hall overall had a good game. I mean, maybe it's me just being a little bit nitpicky. Uh, I thought Hogard had another, had a good game as well, 14 points. Uh, Aiken shot well. Uh, but the thing Izzo highlighted in the post game is he's got to get more boards. He didn't get any against Tennessee. So, uh, look for that maybe out of Aikens here in the future as the regular season gets going. Cohen Carr had some electrifying dunks. Uh, that's probably the right word to sit to to describe Cohen Carr electrifying. I mean, one of them he euro stepped from the three point line and dunked on a Tennessee player, which was that might have been the best dunk I've seen in person. And this was an exhibition game to benefit charity. Uh, so Cohen Carr was taking no prisoners, uh, no matter what game it was. Uh, Booker saw saw a little bit of minutes, hit a three ball, so. I thought the freshman looked good. Uh, overall, I, I don't think there's really any losers in this game. I know Tennessee won the game, 89 to 88, but I, like Michigan State's still 0 and 0 in the season. It's an exhibition game; doesn't count. I don't. I don't really think there were any losers here. Both teams got big game experience, and everyone pretty much said after the game, this was a consensus that that felt like March. That did not feel like a preseason exhibition. So, no losers in this game, in my opinion. 
Uh, I thought both teams played well. Both teams played at top 10, top five caliber, final, final four caliber, uh, if you want to put it that way. Uh, another thing, it was kind of a rough show, in my opinion. I think both teams had, uh, I don't have the stats exactly pulled up. I think both teams shot 36 free throws, which is a little bit excessive. I know the refs needed to get into midseason form as well. Uh, refs could be a little rusty, but 36, it just seems like a lot. And that Trey Holloman foul at the end to give Tennessee the the two foul shots uh, to kind of seal the game there. I thought that was a very questionable call that went Tennessee's way. So yeah, a little bit of a rough show, which irked me a little bit. Uh, but overall, it was a great game, great environment inside the Breslin Center. Yeah, you brought up Trey Holloman, and I want to talk about so he did a little something Izzo. He did a little something different with the lineups than we saw in Hillsdale. He had pretty like straight lineups before he was, you know, hockey switching the guys in and out. And he said like, he's not going to be doing that for the rest of the season. So we saw a little bit of a taste of the rotations as single players coming in and out that he might use a little bit more going forward. I was really impressed with the use of Trey Holloman and Jeremy Fears Jr., Cohen Carr, and even Booker, even though Booker didn't get too many minutes, but I thought when those guys came in, they really did bring some energy in the moments where I thought some of the veteran players had been lulled a little bit by Tennessee, um, which I thought was a very positive point for the first kind of high level matchup of the season to see those, those budding things happening with those younger guys, I think is going to be something really important going forward. If there's injuries, things going on to have that depth and have that depth of guys that bring that energy, I think is going to be really important. I was very impressed with Trey Holloman, even though he got that double technical. Um, I don't know. He brought a little bit of fire and I thought that was, a it was an improvement in um, like decision-making and defense from what I saw from him last season. And I think he'll be maybe a leader for some of those younger guys because he'll be subbing in with them more, I think. Uh, I don't know. I just was impressed by him, and that was something I kept coming back to. I even kind of liked the double technical. I don't know, but, you know, just a little fire under him I think is important. Okay, go, go ahead, Paul, if you have any points. No, you guys really uh, covered a lot of it. Um, yeah, I, I will say that um, one thing that we're seeing a little bit more out of Michigan State this year that we saw again last night, we saw it against Hillsdale for the first time, was was applying a lot of ball pressure. I mean, they basically were picking up full court and getting up into guys, you know, all the way up and down the court. Um, and I think that that type of strategy is something that Izzo has shown to do in the past when he's got a lot of guards and he's got a lot of athletes. And that, you know, has not always been the case. I mean, you know, there's been several years where, you know, he's only had about four four healthy guards and you can't, you know, you can't apply that that type of pressure. And so I think that was, it was interesting that he did it against a high level opponent and that it was pretty effective because, as sloppy as Michigan State was with the ball early, and I think they did turn the ball over in five of their first six possessions, which um, is part of what uh, was responsible for getting off to such a slow start. They didn't get any shots off to start the game, um, whereas Tennessee, who is historically a very poor shooting team, they were one of the worst shooting teams in the in the power five or six or of, the, of the major conferences last year, and they hit 12 of their first 14 shots, including, I believe, six of seven from three. So I don't think, and, and then that was partially on Michigan State's defense. They did come out a little bit soft in that area, but you don't expect that to happen. Um, but as for as many of turnovers as MSU had, Tennessee still wound up with more, um, more, more total turnovers. It wound up being um, 20 to 17. MSU won that, that statistical category. 
Um, and in fact, Michigan State won most of the statistical categories. They out-rebounded Tennessee, um, 38 to 31. Um, the free throws were dead even as um, Brendan, you actually nailed it. It was, both teams were 26 for 36. So the only difference in the game was honestly shooting. And Tennessee shot the ball better than Michigan State did. And it, and it wasn't that Michigan State shot poorly. I mean, MSU was 47% from three on pretty high volume, 17. But, um, you know, Tennessee was a little bit better and they were a little bit better from two. Um, and in some cases, um, there definitely were some defensive lapses. And that was something that Izzo mentioned in his, his post-game his, uh, post press conference where they had a couple bad switches um, he wasn't terribly impressed with the play at the center position. I think neither Sissoko or Cooper had a particularly good game. Um, they both put up five points, but um, and they both had, they both had five points and four rebounds, um, so almost an identical stat line there. Um, but neither player really stood out as kind of doing anything notable, um, and that was was somewhat problematic. Um, and you know, as far as that last that last foul. Yeah, that's the kind of there, there are a few things in basketball or in sports in general that just drive me nuts. And, you know, calling fouls in a situation like that is just unacceptable, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, you just as an official, you just can't make that call. I mean, if it was a sh if the guy was in the act of shooting, maybe he wasn't. Um, I mean, just to see how much of a hill I will die on for this, I'll even argue that I that I'm totally OK that Draymond didn't get a foul called in the, the 2010 Final Four against Butler because he should have gone harder to the basket. So. Yeah, that, that just kind of burned me a little bit. Um, you know, if the game actually would have counted, I would have been much more angry about that. But um, but the funny thing was, even Izzo and Coach Barnes commented on how much the officials also need this type of exhibition to get into kind of midseason form. Um, so, yeah, Bar and Barnes actually emphasized that more than Izzo did, which I thought was ironic, considering that his that um, Coach Barnes' team won due in large part to a, a foul at the end. Um, of course, that all being said, MSU was somewhat fortunate just to get in the position to be tied. I mean, they had to steal an inbounds pass or, an, or, or create a turnover on an inbounds, kick it out to a three-point shooter, and not not and it was Hogard, not a particularly good three-point shooter, who buried it. So you could argue that it was pretty fortuitous for them to be in that position in the first place. Um, but yeah, all in all, just to echo what uh, what you had both said, it was it was generally viewed as a as a positive all the way across the board. Um, Izzo was very positive in his post-game presser. Um, about it being a very positive experience. So it was a, it was a fun night at the Breslin. Um, and, and I guess the other point that was kind of amusing is they did, I was curious if they would change any of the rules, um, basically because it was an exhibition and that you would have more flexibility to kind of do what you wanted. And they really only changed one, but it was kind of notable, which is they, they didn't care how many fouls each individual player drew. And Tennessee had a guy that had four fouls like early in the second half and he, he picked up his fifth foul and um, we actually didn't know that that was going to be the rule. And actually, one of the other um, one of the other guys that was on press row said that, oh, yeah, in this game, the, the Tennessee SID said that they're not going to count fouls in this game. And so when the um, Tennessee player picked up a fifth foul, um, the student section or the, the fans expected that he would be, he would have to leave the court. And he stayed on. And there was a, a raucous boo from the crowd when that happened, such that they had to make an announcement on the, the PA that, that they weren't going to disqualify anybody. So that, that, one, that guy went up with seven fouls, um, but so did, so did Millie Call. Um, so I guess it worked out okay. But it was a fun night, definitely. I really think that Izzo likes those sort of games early in the year where his guys kind of get the crab beat out of them a little bit. Because, you know, you're ranked early in the season, 
you have some young guys that don't really know what's coming and maybe some veterans that I don't know I don't know this but you know have gotten comfortable with the idea that they were ranked and you know they have a good a good season ahead of them and I think uh that was a necessary thing to happen to the guys I don't know you know Obviously, it doesn't mean anything because it didn't count, but I think it will mean things going forward because it taught the lessons to those younger guys of what those large opponents and what, honestly, Big Ten play is going to look like um, going forward. There was, like you mentioned, Malik Hall, he was banging around on everyone, like going in as hard as possible. And like, I think that was a good lesson for how you have to play going forward against teams that might be bigger and like, I don't want to say might, will be bigger and you know, will be tougher going forward. Um, overall, I was impressed also by their ability to kind of claw back. Um, I do want to talk about AJ Hogard for a second. He was a topic on the pod last year for me a lot. Um, what did you guys think from think of his play early in that slow start? And then as we were able to kind of gain back, what did you see from him? I just want to see if you think are thinking the same things about him that I am before I say my points. Brendan, maybe you start. I don't know. Paul's making a thinking face. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I was against, so against Hillsdale, Hogart, I think he went one for four, one for five on free throws. He really struggled from the line. I mean, this game was a free throw game. Both teams, 36 free throws. Free throws were a big part of the game. He went five for five from the line against Tennessee. So that was instantly a positive. Uh, I've been impressed with Hogart in these two exhibition games. I mean, I, mean, I know he had three turnovers against Tennessee. So, but point guards, they're going to turn the ball over a little bit more than, you know, the front court players. So that's not, it's not a ton, but, you know, kind of want to limit it to one or two, probably a game. But overall, I I think Hogarth's improved his shooting. Uh, I think he's improved his court vision. I think he had eight assists against Hillsdale last game, last exhibition. He had two against uh, Tennessee, but I've been impressed with Hogarth this year. Yeah, I I think the I I sort of have um, kind of no comment about Hogard in this game. He played okay. I I wasn't. I mean, other than that that late three that tied the game, he was a little bit I want to say invisible, but he, he just he didn't do a lot that that really stuck stood out to me honestly last night. So I, I'd like to see a little bit more from him. Um, I wanted to go back and and watch the broadcast a little bit as well just to see if there were things that I didn't see. But um, I'm reserving judgment on whether he's improved or not, I suppose. Yeah, that's kind of where I am standing with him. And I'm, I look at him more from a standpoint of he's the leader of the team or he, I expect him to be, I don't, I'm, I don't know. And I think it was last year and it maybe is going to be the Tyson Walker show a little bit this year. They go to him for a lot of things, but I feel like AJ is the more vocal of the two about getting the guys in the right places that they need to be and kind of like motivating. And during that slow start, I just didn't see that from him, the the motivating and kind of being the guy in charge. Obviously, it's just the first, you know, kind of big matchup. And there's lots of games coming forward that we can see that from him. But that's something I'm going to be looking for because I think he can do it. And when Hogard has a good game and when Hogard is leading, I think the team plays well. So I'll be curious to see if that trend continues this year. Um, I do think he put in a lot of work in the offseason based off just what I've seen from a couple different things. So I'm excited to see 
how how that unfolds going forward. Anything else about basketball that you want to talk about before we kind of round out our episode here? Uh, I had a couple of other box score observations. Um, and some people put more um, faith in this than others, but just looking at the plus minus ratings is, is sometimes interesting. Um, I kind of think all stats matter, at least to, to some extent. Um, but actually the leader for plus minus was Cohen Carr. He was plus 22 for the game. And Jeremy Fears was actually plus 13. Um, and Fears only, I think, scored two points. So I think that must speak to um, Fears' defense a bit. I mean, it's sometimes hard to tell because I, I would you'd have to go back through, you know, what lineups was he playing against and such. But I did think that was notable that, that Carr and Fears by far led the team in plus minus with actually Xavier Booker coming in third at plus nine. Um, now, granted, it's probably part of that was a lot of the starters were on the on the on the court for the early, you know, 17 to one run or whatever it was to, to start the game. And and the Spartans did the same thing, honestly, in the second half, too, where they I think they had the game within a point and then Tennessee went on a 9-0 run to push it out to 10 early in the second half. So probably that goes on the starters both times. Um, and interestingly, the the player that was last in plus minus was Malik Hall at minus 21, believe it or not. So. Um, you know, those stats, sometimes you can over analyze those stats, but I think they do tell us something and that's, that is kind of notable. Um, and I guess the other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to Tyson Walker, I, I, I recall there being a specific moment in the game where he hit a three and that was when MSU late in the game was trying to close the gap. And I think they had it down certainly to single digits. And I think they were getting within two or three points. Um, he had a three and then on the, the next possession, you could just see it. He had the ball, he had his guy and it was just like, he's going to make a shot. I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to, he was going to take his guy. He was going to make a shot. And he did, you could, you could, in his, he just sort of made a move. He pulled up and you just like, you know, I would have bet a hundred dollars that that shot was going to go in. And so, you know, he is a stone cold killer when he's in that mode. So if we can see more of that, it's going to be exciting. Anything to add, Brendan? Uh, I do have a question for you guys. Should I pose that now? All right. Yeah, so I posted, yeah, I posted this in the Spartans Illustrated message board. Go subscribe, uh, SpartansIllustrated.com. You can read it. You can comment on this uh, on our message board. So uh, obviously I was at the game yesterday between Michigan State, Tennessee. Saw a little bit of, of the game between Illinois and Kansas, which also benefited Maui. Uh but these high-level exhibition games, in my opinion, they only yield positive results for both for both teams, winner and loser. Both squads get quality competition, real game experience against a good opponent in a big-time environment like the Breslin Center. Or Kansas played Illinois in Champaign. That's a great environment for Kansas to go and play in, and even for those Illinois players to play in a big-time environment at home. And it much rather have. Uh, that game rather than Michigan State versus Hillsdale. No offense to Hillsdale, but they don't pose a threat to Michigan State at all. You don't really learn much from that. And it's great for fans to see a, a quality matchup in October. Benefited a great cause, and it didn't count for or against anyone's record. Like Michigan State lost that game. They're still 0-0 on the year. Uh, so I really can't think of any negatives of playing these high-level exhibition games in October. I mean, obviously you can say injury, but I still think the value of getting big time experience outweighs that risk of injury. Uh, so I think these open door ex high level exhibition games should be played every year. I think pick, pick a charity every year, play the game. Uh, players get great experience, fancy high level basketball without having to worry about a loss. 
if, if the team loses. So I thought Sunday was a ton of fun. Do you guys think that this should be done every single year? I would say a hundred percent, if not a thousand percent. Yes. Um, and I think also, interestingly enough, I think uh, coach Barnes and coach Izzo would also strongly agree with you, Brendan. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great event and it was fun and it's, it's good to have fun basketball in October. Um, and yeah, I mean, actually coach Barnes went on for quite a while in his post-game press conference about the value of this type of game. And, you know, he was asked, well, is, is it better to do it closed doors or is it better to do it open? He's like, oh no, it's better to do it open. There's, you know, the, the experience that my players got tonight was invaluable and there's no other way to do it other than to have this experience. And he actually went on for several minutes making the point that Brennan just made that, you know, yeah, we should do this every year and the NCA doesn't allow it and they should. And, you know, I, I agree. I think maybe even every team should have some sort of fun exhibition and have it, you know, donate all the proceeds to charity. It would be great for college basketball. Um, I mean, think about the um, the coaches versus cancer event that typically, I think that's around Thanksgiving. And, you know, I, and that was, I mean, that's been a phenomenal event. And, you know, and I, I honestly, even though Dick Vitale sometimes gets on my nerves, I, I give him personally a lot of credit because he sort of made that happen and he did it because his friend died. And I just think that that's really, really cool. And if we can do more things like that for, you know, to help people and to, you know, elevate college basketball at the same time and to create these great matchups that, you know, people can have fun with, you know, and maybe, you know, there's all sorts of things that you could do. And I think it would be nothing but positive. And, you know, even Izzo said something in his, his post-game press conference um, about the, yeah, we should do this every year. And maybe, you know, we could, you know, around the Thanksgiving, we could feed the homeless or we could do something for the, the boys and girls club or, you know, whatever. And there's all sorts of charities out there that could benefit from this. And each team could pick their own. It was, so I, I think that the NCAA should take a serious look at this and maybe, you know, this set of events could potentially trigger something, you know, it, um, it makes you wonder if we had Mark Hollis still as the AD, if he could make something happen. Cause he seemed to be kind of the wizard at uh, this type of, you know, kind of, you know, big show events, but um I do wonder if something will happen as a result of this, because it's it, it was really, really cool. So I hope they do something like this going forward. Yeah, I agree completely. You, you both touched on this, but I think like and I talked about it a little bit earlier, but those younger players having this opportunity to play in a game like that, that wouldn't have come for quite a little while in the season. So I think from that standpoint alone, it's very much a positive and I I had a great time I was sitting I wasn't sitting in the press box I was sitting in the stands and it was like s such a different atmosphere from the Hillsdale game you know everyone was kind of on their feet at all times after we got over the slow start I guess I should say but um yeah it was great and I got an ice cream cookie sandwich in October so that's fabulous can't go wrong there right so I agree Paul completely I think we should do it and I think it benefiting charity I think maybe the NCAA will be more likely to be into that if that's something that they can get going every year. I think that'd be an all-time new low for the NCAA if they don't allow charity exhibition games. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here first from Brendan. Send that over to headquarters so that they, just that sound bite so they know how we feel. <laughs> the NCAA hates charity. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only conclusion we can draw. Well, guys, anything else to add about basketball before we sign out of our episode here today? It'll be exciting to see uh, MSU play in their first real game against a dead president, James Madison. So that's coming up, I think, next Monday. <laughs> I think that they yes, could at least November get 6th, somebody State still alive. Takes on James Madison at home. 
<laughs> a very different opponent from Tennessee, a dead president. <laughs> a dead president. Well, thanks so much, Paul and Brendan, for joining. It was a pleasure, as always. Um, here in a couple of days, I will have um, a preview episode for Michigan State's matchup against Nebraska. And then I'll be back to recap that game, and we'll be back to talk about basketball, the three of us, I think, probably again here soon. Thanks so much for listening. Um, subscribe, like Brendan was talking about, to Spartans Illustrated. Check out our message board. We're pumping out some really cool content recently, and we'll have the mix of football and basketball for a little while here. And then um, I just want to say follow us on – follow Red Cedar Raider on socials. And you can find this podcast wherever you listen and on YouTube. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you all again in a couple days.